Hey folks, good to be with you uh, today, and uh, uh, as always, we'll see where this goes. I, a few months ago, actually back in August, I uh, began uh, some teaching that I indicated at that point was going to have three parts to it, and uh, today I'm going to get to that third part, but I'm going to quickly remind you of the other two parts. The key word is conversation. Um, I, I believe the Bible, and at least I invite people, I should say, I invite people to approach the Bible in a conversational way, as if it is a conversation with God. Um, it's not about, here's a guiding principle for life, a moral principle for life. It's a conversation with God. Who, who is God and what does that mean uh, for me in response to who God is, uh, is revealed to be? It's God's story. The whole thing is God's story. And frankly, folks, it's one story. It's one story from creation to recreation. And everything else is in between those two. Where we're at now is headed towards God's moment of restoration and recreation and healing. That's the story. Now, the, so I, and, and conversation happens best in community. So when we talk about the Bible, we ought to do it together. We ought to listen to one another. We ought to listen to voices uh, with whom we agree. We ought to listen to voices with whom we disagree. And we ought to do that in ways that allow, that allow us to learn from each other. All right. Um, there was a lot more to that, but that's good enough. The other one I, I talked with you about the next time was about uh, inviting you to, to think of Christ in conversational terms. That Christ came to the world, God become flesh, to enter into conversation with us. To, uh, he's the visible image of the invisible God, our book says. And so to, to see his life, to follow his life, uh, and uh, again, be in conversation with one another about what that might mean for us and how that might, uh, might look. So that's real brief. Today I want to I wanna go to uh, creation. Talk about creation as conversation. Um, I grew up, and I'm going to say this a couple of times today, I, 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 uh, I grew up, uh, as I suspect some of you did if you grew up in a church, believing that there were two ways in which I was taught, two ways in which God reveals himself, discloses himself. He does that through the Bible, what was called particular revelation or specific revelation, and then he speaks through what was called either general revelation or natural revelation, that's the created order. With that second message back when, I introduced what I believe to be, and I'm not the first one to come up with this at all, the third. There is a third. It isn't just the Bible and the created order. It's also Jesus, and Jesus trumps both of them. All right? That's 
That's how I approach this. So as we come to, to talking about creation and how to be in conversation uh, with it, um, let me just remind you that these, when we approach the Bible, always we approach the Bible, these are ancient words written to an ancient people, by an ancient people, and quite frankly, they were never static. They, they were always evolving. Because it was the theology. It wasn't, it wasn't so much. There's historical parts to the Bible, of course. You know that. Uh, but it wasn't, uh, not all of it was written to be history. And certainly it was not written to be definitive science of the day. It's ancient literature, and we best understand ancient literature within its context. Context matters. Aaron gave us a great example of that. There's a hole in the wall. And a bunch of you parents were wondering, I hope my kid didn't do that. Good, because you learned, no, it was a doorknob, right? That's context. You, well, yeah, and, and, and I'm not, and with, with you. Oh, okay. I, I, there's got to be context for that, too, but I, I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, it it really helps, though, to understand the Bible. And and the creation story we're going to read shortly, if we understand the world of of that day and try to read it through the lens of what the people in that ancient time would have been hearing, I think that makes sense. Doesn't that make sense to at least hear it that way? Um, Again, when I was growing up, I was taught, uh, basically what I heard is there are, there are two ways to, uh, to, to think about the creation account in Genesis 1. One is to take it literally. Actually, both of them were to take it, one really literally, literally and one the other very literally. Uh, and literally meant that the earth and the heavens and everything were created in six days. Just as it's written down there. It's in six days, that's it. And there's still folks who believe that, and uh, that's okay, I suppose. Um, I don't. Um, and then the other way was, well, how do we explain then the uh, all of these stars and all of these times and the dinosaurs, and how do we explain all? Ah, here's the explanation. God created it all, but each day was a big, long period of time. We don't know how long, but each day was a period of time. So that, again, that was more satisfying to me. I could, I could grasp that much better. Uh, but then, I, I, over time, I was introduced to the thought that this is uh, this story is um, a poem. 
maybe even a hymn that the ancient Israelites sang. Just maybe that's what it is. And then I learned some things about those ancient days and those ancient times and those ancient peoples. And uh, I learned, for instance, uh, about their view of the world. And some of this, you know, they, they believed the earth was flat, right? Apparently, we still have some flat earthers around uh, because the CIA or the government or some world order has deceived us into thinking that we really went to outer space and see what we see. Um, so, so, you know, that, that, that's how these ancient, it, the earth is flat. And if you read the Bible with that understanding, you'll see it there. You'll even hear about four corners, the corners uh, of the earth. And that, that ancient way of looking at things, of course, it was there until, what, Galileo, Copernicus, I mean, that, and that was a long time, right, uh, before that came into being. And so that's the way they looked at it. The earth is flat. The earth is flat. The sky is a solid dome, okay, that is over the flat earth, okay? Now, above that sky dome, which they called a vault, above that sky dome was the waters that God would send this rain. And up somehow along that sky dome, the planets and sun and moon uh, rolled around that sky dome. Can you see, through ancient eyes, isn't that hard to see? You, you have all of these other pictures, but through ancient eyes, that's what they saw. And of course, water covered the earth. In fact, you read the Noah story, water even sprang up uh, from the deep. So that's the way these ancient folks, um, that's the way these ancient folks saw the world in which they lived. It was a much more limited idea than you and I have today. Okay, can we just stay right there and here? And, and with that in mind, uh, I, I want to read the creation story, and I want you to do the best you can to imagine yourself on a starry night uh, out in the middle of the wilderness or wherever. And uh, actually, since this poem was most likely finalized uh, in Babylon in the 500s B.C., picture yourself a, a, a person in captivity Wondering, God, where are you? God, what happened? The world, our world is so disordered. It's crazy. It's nuts. Jerusalem's been destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem, your habitation, God, it's been destroyed. What happened? Where are you? Did you desert us? Why all of this chaos around us? And in the midst of all of that, they hear these words. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. By the way, one of the arguments people like to have fun with in this story, sun, moon, and stars haven't been created yet. Where did the light come from? Well, the easy answer is, well, the light was from God. But what if it's a poem? And that's not the point of it all. God is the originator of it all. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water, the water on high from the water below. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land Produce vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in accordance to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vaults of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Hear the poet now. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. 
And God said, let the land produce creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, God created them, male and female. God created them. And God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, if you try to read history and science in there, it might be interesting, but I think you'd miss the point. The point being to say to these ancient people in the midst of chaos uh, and pain and disillusionment and disorder and wondering, how, God, where are you? This wonderful worship poem tells them, God's here. God put it all together. God created it, ordered it. Every piece of it, God created, God ordered. God did it all. Oh, and, and then, by the way, what happened on the seventh day? What did God do? He rested. I've, I've learned an interesting thing about that term as well. I've learned that, you know, you, you remember in the Old Testament, there's, there's all these pagan gods. Israel lives, and, and there's in the Hebrews in this time, there, there's pagans all, I mean, we don't know how many did. There, there were likely, almost definitely, household idols, <laughs> that people would have. And they could be a different, uh, uh, the clans, the families, idol, whatever it, it would be. Idols, idols everywhere uh, there would be. And, and uh, when people took an idol and built a temple for it, it was very common, just like Israel would do, build a temple under Solomon. Um, just as all these ancients would do, and then the, there'd be a, There'd be like a parade, an inauguration. Israel did this in the time of Solomon. 
when they took the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem to the temple that had just been built. Big parade, big celebration, big deal. In the pagan world, they did the same thing. Their temple just wasn't as big because it was just wasn't because their gods weren't all that big. And here's what they did. They took those gods and uh, had this big parade, took them into the temple, set them down. Rested them. On a pedestal. Now, God is here. Hasn't it puzzled you at least a little bit uh, why the Bible could say God neither slumbers nor sleeps, but he needs rest? God doesn't need rest. Maybe when God rested, it was simply God's way of saying, I'm right here in the midst of it. I'm here. And yep, God kept trying to say that to these ancient people. A tabernacle that they had that went with them through the wilderness where God would meet them in his glory. A temple that Solomon built. It gets torn down. They rebuild it. Jesus comes down. God become flesh. Almost like he's a temple in our midst. In fact, John says Jesus came and tabernacled among us, came and dwelt among us. It could go on. The temple became, for Paul, we're God's temple. God is present in the world through us. And one day, in a restored garden, God will be with his people again. It says it in those closing chapters of the Bible. So, uh, okay, what the heck am I trying to say? What, what, what I want you to hear is that it's important uh, for us to think about what we hear and read in the Scripture, and particularly when it comes to creation and order and how we interact with science, for instance, because that's a big question today. Faith and science, you know that. That's a big question today. You know, what do we do with those two? You know, we've got... a. a, a We've got a lot of Christians who see them this way. You know, butting heads. You know, if you believe that, you don't trust God. You know, um, right? Until what you need is going to save your life, then you suddenly trust it. But that's another point. But let's interact why does, it, why does it have to be like this? Why can't it be a conversation that works like this? Where we learn. I mean, come on, folks. We, we've, this new telescope, I mean, it's wild. I, what's next? I mean, I'm going to be dead before some of you see. I, who, I don't know what it's going to be 20 years from now. Right? What kind of... It's so big, it's so huge, and it tells us something about God who is big and is orderly and there's beauty. And yet here's this lowly planet, Earth. And what the creation story tells us is that God said, you take care of it. 
It's right there. You take care of it. When he gives rule, says take rule over it. He's not giving up rule. He's sharing rule with human, the human creature made in whose image? His image. I don't know. That's good enough. Let's pray.